This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average workday. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. So if you're considering a job in CSI, this is the book for you. Or if you're just wondering what it's like to work in CSI, again, this is the book for you. Through My Eyes is available in the ebook format and paperback on Amazon. In this episode, I'm interviewing a really good friend of mine, Brandy. I worked with her husband, Steve, in Crime Scene Investigations Unit in the department. And one day he was out on his motorcycle, off duty, and he was killed on his motorcycle. And I didn't know Brandy at the time. I only knew Steve. And I met Brandy at this Uh, time in her life when her kids were really little and we formed a friendship and we've been very good friends ever since but I wanted to have her as my guest because there are a lot of women whose LEO husbands die in the line of duty but we don't get to hear from those who die in off-duty accidents so I wanted to get her take on it and I wanted you guys to hear it too. So um, it's going to be uh, really raw and real. So uh, you might want to get some tissues. And here we go. I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Brandy. And I actually worked with her husband in the crime scene investigations unit. And he was killed in a motorcycle crash off duty. Um, I'm going to try not to cry during this, but I wanted to interview Brandy because 
a lot of people understand or go through um, when people die in the line of duty, but they don't really um, understand the difference between that and somebody that is killed off duty that's a police officer. So I wanted to talk to Brandy today and get some insight on how how um, how that affected her, if it affected her any differently than if he would have been killed on duty and how she handled it. And we're going to get into a lot of different issues with this. So Brandy, hi, and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining me. I know it's been it's been a while since we've um, since I've asked you to come on, and I, I know this is going to be tough. Um, and I cannot believe it's been 18 years. The anniversary just passed. So, um, first of all, and I know all I know all these stories, but but some of these things I'm going to ask you, I don't know the answer. I don't know what you're going to say. So, so this is going to be very raw and real to me too. But tell us and tell the listeners how you met Steve. Tell the story of how you started dating. Of how we began to date. Um, I worked at a local grocery store and he was a customer. And he actually wasn't necessarily a customer of mine. But he would come in the store and I would just see him and want to talk to him and things. So I would go to whatever check stand line he was in and I would talk to him. And so one day I went up to him and I asked him what he was doing later. So I noticed he did not have a ring on and I had never seen him with a woman. So um, he said nothing. And I asked if he and his friend wanted um, to go um, meet for a drink with a friend of mine and I. And um, he I didn't know what he did for work at the time or any of that kind. I knew nothing about him other than that. He was extremely, extremely attractive. (laughs) Always wore these um, jean shorts with a black shirt every time I saw him. <laughs> I didn't know that was from work or any of those kind of things. But anyways, um, so he agreed. But then my friend and I went out and he wasn't there. So I was like, oh, man. So next time I saw him, I asked him again. I'm like, hey, you and your friend didn't show up. What's going on? Being the forward person I am. And so he agreed. And so that night... I went home, asked my, I told my roommate, I'm like, Hey, get dressed. We're going to go meet that guy. I didn't even know his name at the time um, at a restaurant for drinks. And so we show up and at the bar is he and his friend that later turned out to be um, a really good, I realized a really good friend of him, another officer with the department. And we had a couple of drinks. And um, I remember as we were leaving that night, there was an accident. Um, right in front of the restaurant. And so he and his friend Jeff went over and helped and all that stuff. And from there we were inseparable. I know his friend Jeff told him that he thought I was a little too forward, that it might (laughs) freak him out because Steve was pretty shy, but um, that's how we began to date. I asked him out. Yeah. I remember that story. (laughs) That's so cute. Um, so how how long after you started dating did you get engaged? Um, we dated for eight months, and he proposed during Christmas. So, and then about eight months, and then eight months later, we got married. And then you had two beautiful children. We did. We did. Yep. 
who are all grown up now. I can't believe it. Amanda, she's 20, a senior in college, and Cole is 18, going to be a freshman in college. Now, I'm going to ask you to tell uh, me and the listeners um, what happened that day. And I remember Amanda being, what, three? And Cole was uh, nine months, eight months? Amanda was two and a half, and Cole was eight months old, eight and a half months old. Okay. Okay, so go ahead and um, as best as you can, um, Brandy, tell us what happened um, to Steve. Um, I was, Steve had gone on a motorcycle ride that day, and he often rode his bike on weekends with family or friends, and um, he was not one to hang out with law enforcement per se, so this was all non-law enforcement people that he was with, Um. And it was a Saturday on Memorial Weekend, and he was out riding his bike, and I was home with the kids. Um, The baby was napping, so Cole was napping. And um, Now, when you say bike, we're talking motorcycle. His motorcycle, yeah. He was in Amador County riding his motorcycle with, I think there was four other people there. One family member, a friend, or two friends, and then somebody I did not know. Um, and so Amanda was at the table eating breakfast or I don't even remember what time of day it was. Maybe it was lunch. I don't remember that part, but, um, whooshes. um, I remember I got a knock at the door and I was in the middle of making some food for us for later. Um, and I got a knock at the door and it was from a lady named Barbara and, um, I recognized Barbara because I also knew Barbara from the grocery store where I met Steve at at the time. Cause at this time I was, uh, um, I had been working at the store for 10 years when I finally quit the store before I changed careers. And, um, so I knew her as Bubba. So Barbara comes to the door and she was dressed, um, like a civilian. And, uh, she asked if I was home alone or, if I was home alone and I was like, that's kind of strange. But I said to her, I said, yeah, well, Steve will be back shortly. And I had never known her to talk to Steve or anything. And I didn't know her outside of, um, outside of this grocery store I worked at. So, and I don't know exactly what she said, but I remember her, I remember her tell, I said, Steve will be home shortly. He's on a ride. And, um, We take your time. Okay, I'm gonna go grab a tissue because I did not think I would cry. Of course. We. While she's off getting her tissue, this is this is real life. This is what happens. So while the listeners just give her a second to get to get collected and get a tissue and actually remember this day too. So I really will. This is hard, Tammy. I know. I know. Um, that's when she told me he wasn't going to come home. And all I remember is falling to the floor. And I remember just sobbing, gut wrenching, sobbing. And, um, her asking me where the babies were at, meaning my kids. And I said, you know, one's in the kitchen, one's sleeping. 
And um, that's all I remember. That's that's fine. Um, I remember being there either that day or the next. And I can't remember what day it was either. I, I, I don't know why. I guess I guess when you go through stress, you don't really remember small details, right? Um, I remember walking up to you. Now I didn't I didn't know you at this point. I knew Steve because I worked with him. I worked with your husband every single day. <laughs> we worked the same shift and or I'm sorry, not the same same shift, but the same days. He was days and I was swings and we overlapped each other and 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 every time Steve came to one of our CSI meetings. He would bring Amanda and I would hold her during the meetings and ah, so precious. And, and that's, that's, this is the first time I actually met you. And I remember coming to your house. I remember being in the kitchen. I remember this, and this is in your other house too. So I remember being in the kitchen and I said, Brandy, what can I do for you? And do you remember what you told me? No. You said, bring my husband back. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. Um, we can we can skip over details. Um, I, I like this next story. Tell the story of that EMT officer who was with them at the accident scene because I I like this 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 uh, story because it has hope for me. It gives me hope, and I think it gives you some hope too. The EMT that was with them at the scene, the the one, yeah, the the special story about. Um, how he looked like he was at peace. You know, to be really honest. um, You don't remember that? I remember, you know, since that time, I remember, um, I do remember somebody and I don't remember who it was telling me that. um, Well, I remember when they came to the house and told me, and then I said, you know what? I, I, I knew they weren't lying to me. I knew that they weren't lying, coming to me, telling me my husband was dead. I knew that part, but I said, I want to see it with my own eyes. And they said, well, are you sure that's the best thing for you? And I said, I don't know that answer, but I do know that that's what I'm telling you I need to see. And that's, I want to go mm-hmm. see my husband. And I remember going to the, um, the small, it was a small town. So I remember like, but it was their idea of a funeral home more or less. And uh, Steve was laying there. And I remember um, I asked them to give me a minute with him so I could talk to him and, um, I remember just thinking to myself that he looked so at peace. He, for a man who had just been through such a traumatic thing, he had a little scratch on his chin. Um, he looked swollen. And when I lifted up the the, um, the sheet, I could see that his leg was this one, you know, was broken. But other than that, he just looked like, a very overweight version of my husband that left that morning. But I remember thinking how at peace he looks. And um, just how that brought me so much comfort. I don't know. It's the oddest thing. And I remember uh, them driving me back and them telling me too that they, um, they didn't think that he felt any pain. It was a sudden, you know, brought me some kind of peace. And I do remember writing to the officer years later after the fact um, that was on the scene, the CHP officer, because he had written me a letter initially, um, not right afterwards, but sometime af- afterwards, just uh, courtesy following, you know, 
want you to know I'm thinking of you kind of thing. And so years later, and this is probably like 12 years later, I don't even know if he still even worked for the department. I never, it didn't matter to me if he worked there anymore. I just wrote him a letter thanking him for being there with Steve when Steve died. And I, that was some kind of closure that I needed from that whole thing. That was only a few years ago that I did that. Wow. How did you tell Amanda being only two years old? How did you tell her daddy, daddy wasn't home and how did, what words did you use? Um, I remember telling Amanda that daddy wasn't coming home is all I told her. Daddy's not going to come home. And I said, and she was confused and she, she never cried. Uh, one of the, I hate to say this. One of the beauties I think of him passing when they were so little was that I didn't, I could grieve myself without having to deal with their grief as well. Fast forward, it's been harder now that they're older because I've had time to heal and they're coming upon things that are newer to them that require me to be supportive of them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this, and I used to do things like, um, um, I, we would send balloons up for daddy every time we went to restaurants or we would do things like that. When I sold our house and I moved into this, the house I live in now, um, we planted a tree and they still call it daddy's tree. It's in the backyard. Um, and that little tree is now almost as big as my two story house. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they still call it daddy's tree. Like, what do you do with daddy's tree? <laughs> Did you ever bring yourself to go out to the actual scene where he crashed? I have. Um, not in many, many years, but I did in the beginning. I would go out there and ride with one of the other people that was with him, a family member, my cousin's husband. Um, and he would take me up there because he goes up there quite often still. And uh, it was a, on the tree was actually a piece of bark missing in the shape of a heart. What's really ironic is that my wedding ring that, um, Steve had bought me was my diamond was in the shape of a heart. Wow. And I've always had this thing for hearts. I, so, uh, yeah. So there was a piece of bark missing in the tree and you could see it. Um, and it was in the shape of a heart and that was where Steve hit. Wow. How long do you think did it take you to, I guess, come to terms that he was actually gone. Like when, when did that really sink in for you that my husband is actually not here anymore? I think for, I took a little bit of time off of work, like a week after I buried him, I went back to work and I tried to go on with my life. Um, I had the kids in daycare full time. I tried to keep up this routine because I've always felt that it's my responsibility to keep things going, whether it's whatever situation it is. So I do remember, and I've talked to many, many widows since this happened, because after it happened, I joined a widow support group. And I went through intensive counseling. I, I quit my job. I, um, I mean, for me, I, I, I feel like, um, with every tragedy, you're really, re- you really realize how blessed you are too. So 
I was given the opportunity to grieve and those things. So it took me, I mean, I, I always knew he would clearly he wasn't coming home, but I remember driving down the roads and um, seeing people with their lights on in the front of their house, like neighbors. And I was like, wow, my life is forever changed and their life is going on as it is. So I had to make a new normal for me. Um, and I stayed so active for probably the first couple of years until I really, really, really crashed mentally. I really crashed. Um, and that's when I quit working and um, really focused on myself and the kids. I, I really struggled for a long, long time with the whole stigma of being a widow, raising two kids that looked nothing alike, having young baby with no wedding ring on. I, um, I struggled with some of those odd, the things that strike me as being odd now, but, uh, at the time were really, really real. And I didn't like it when people would say, feel sorry for me. I, I, I didn't like that because it made me feel weak and I didn't like breaking down because it made me feel weak. And I, I really just, um, and it's still, there's still times when it's really, really raw to me. Like, um, you know, the, I don't know why they call the, the date that a person dies an anniversary. Cause I don't see it as a, as a positive thing. So I, I struggle with that a little bit, but, um, like when the kids graduate or the first father daughter dance, Amanda had to go, to, you know, wanted to go to, or holidays, like, how do you explain, um, on father's day, how do you explain that dad's not here? Um, how do you, and I guess it's probably the same way a lot of single parents feel or, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just felt such a stigma because of I was so young and it was really odd too. things that you wouldn't even think of being a stigma, but moving into the neighborhood that I now live in, everybody was married and it was almost like everybody thought this young woman moved in the neighborhood. And so, she's going to try taking over. <laughs> it was really, I was, I was ostracized for a little bit until people got to know me. It was, it was difficult. Um, it was really difficult. People didn't understand. And, you know, and I was very blessed. I was able to take time to, to work on myself. I was able to financially afford that. Um, you know, I, if I didn't have my kids, and my friends, because it was not my family that was supportive, nor was it Steve's family at all. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I'd be here today. I don't think so. I, I was really bad for a period of time. Okay. Do you do you believe in God in heaven? I do. Do you believe that Steve's in heaven right now? I do, and I also believe it, I I will go outside and I'll just. Outside and I watch birds and I, I've often like if I'm somewhere and I see like an eagle flying, I'll think that's him. And to me, birds, birds are like freeing. And so I will, um, it brings me peace to go out there and sit with birds. And, you know, I used to go to the cemetery quite a bit. I don't do that anymore. Um, I do, if I'm angry at him, I'll go out there. Um, mm -hmm. so I'd rather have lunch with him and talk. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people think I'm crazy, but I've healed a lot. And I don't feel that need to go there or to be any particular place to think of him or talk to him. Or I remember I used to drive down the road and it was the weirdest feeling. It doesn't happen anymore, but it was like, and Steve always drove if we were in the car together. So it doesn't even make sense. But 
I'd put my hand over in this in the seat and it was like I would feel him even though he'd never been in that seat even though hmm. but I would feel his presence hmm. yeah and so I do I, I believe in heaven and I, I was just talking to my, my youngest about heaven the other yesterday and um, I see it as being a, a place of peace and I see that what also brings me comfort is that Steve always wanted to have kids and Steve always you know, wanted to have the marriage and have kids and he just got promoted and all these things. And so I feel like he died a happy man and that brings me peace. With that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinblueline, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. And we're back with Brandy. Um, Brandy, in your opinion, did you receive support from our department and or the CSI unit that he worked in? Do I believe? I, oh, absolutely. I think that, I mean, in, in, in ways I can give examples. I remember um, everybody showed up at the house. Um, I... I mean, I, I made friendships I didn't have. I didn't know you before. I um, got involved with the department in other ways, like the whole cheerleading for pig bowl. Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> we did cheer together. Um, I didn't cheer. I tried to cheer. That was like, but um, <laughs> That was fun. I, um, yeah, and I think that they, they took care of all the insurance stuff. They took care of, they actually made all the arrangements for the service. I don't even remember picking out where the service is going to be held. I don't think I picked that out. I think they did. I don't, it didn't matter to me at that point. I mean, they did, they did, they arranged everything. Um, and I think that, you know, of course my grandparents, my grandparents were my real support system and they came down and helped me make these, 
minute decisions and so forth. But, um, yeah, I didn't have to deal with that part of the grieving process. They, they did that all for me. Um, and Steve's partner van was very, has been, was a, has been a blessing my kids whole life. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. still involved. He still sees the kids. He has been wonderful. Um, yeah, no, I don't think they could have done anything different than they did. The chaplains were amazing. Um, and it's really has given me a new appreciation for everything that they do. Mm-hmm. I know that some some wives feel differently than you do about, you know, after they lose their husband in the line of duty or not in the line of duty. I think a lot of them don't get support and they feel left behind. They feel left out. Mm-hmm. But you don't feel that way? I don't feel that way at all, no. I mean, I don't. I don't actually ask anything from anybody. I don't, I've never like called up, you know, his sergeant and be like, Hey, can you, I've never done that. Um, so I don't know. That speaks very well of the department actually. Yeah. I don't, you know, I've never felt the need, but, um, I do know the chaplains are the ones really that I would go to if I needed any kind of support. Mm -hmm. I would say was really the main support. I don't know that his, that would be who I would say was my support system was the chaplains. Okay. So, so you don't think you received enough support from, from family? You know, I, I can't speak for people. Uh, you know, it's really hard. I've learned that you can't put you, it's not fair for me to put on myself or to expect from others what I think I would do myself. That makes and, sense. And that was a really hard, hard lesson. Okay my own mother didn't go to the service because it was too hard for her and her mental health. And I'm like, I, but I can't be resentful because I don't know what battles everybody else is fighting. And, and who's to say my way is the right way also. Right. I remember the funeral day. I remember Cole being on your lap the whole time. Just, I stared at him the whole time. Little eight month old, nine month old baby. I remember about the funeral day. A lot of what stands out in my mind is the, um, People standing on the side of the road saluting Steve's body. Oh, yeah. Driven. I remember um, I asked people not to touch me because I couldn't quit crying. I remember as, that. As soon as somebody would touch me, I would lose it. And um, I really was trying to be strong. I remember um, I remember at the – because we did at the church and the procession, and then we went to the uh, bury him next door, and I remember – Amanda always had this piece of Chuck E. Cheese coin. She always had a Chuck E. Cheese coin. Mm-hmm. And I remember Steve had just went and got a whole bunch of them because she wouldn't sleep without it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Kids aren't supposed to have change and all that stuff. But she'd sleep with this piece of coin, this coin. And I remember um, as they had him in the ground and Amanda dropped her Chuck E. Cheese coin into the ground. On purpose, right? No, it was Accident. Accident. It was an accident. And I thought, oh, my goodness, she's going to lose her mind. And so and then I thought, how sweet that actually really is. Um, and I told her, I'm like, that's really nice of you. So I, I talked it up. I'm like, that's really nice. Oh. Daddy. And then as I turn away to cry, because I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was just very, very profound. Wow. An odd thing, but very profound to me. Yeah. And uh, you buried him with chapstick. Tell that story. Uh, uh, so he always had to have chapstick in his pocket and so he has chapstick with him yes and 
Um, I, if I go to the cemetery, I'll bring him chapstick and leave it on the headstone for him. <laughs> yeah. Chapstick. <laughs> Do you think there was ever a time? Well, I'm sure there was a time when people stopped coming around and life just kind of went on for them, but not for you. Oh, almost immediately. Almost immediately. Almost immediately. Like I said, with the neighbors, you know, they'd come over, bring food or just say hi. Or, you know, there's so many flowers. I started giving them to people because people would, you know, get, bring them by. And then um, life went on. And I remember crying on my bed. I remember crying on the floor of my bedroom. So I never wanted the kids to see me losing it. So I would do it at night. This is when, you know, computers were huge, monstrous box things. And I would be on there typing away to some stranger in some faraway land, some other widow or widower, and just talking about how life wasn't fair and how I was so, so angry at the world and how I was angry at God for so long. And, um, and then I realized God's plans aren't always my plans. They don't always match. Right. Do you have a message or any words of advice for other law enforcement wives who've lost their husbands or maybe husbands who've lost their wives or anybody that's lost somebody close to them? You can speak to each group if you want to just, if you want to just speak to the wives first or, you know, anything. I think, Hindsight, looking back, um, one of the biggest things is that it's their journey, whatever that is, because everybody has an opinion of how you should behave, how you shouldn't behave. Every book will give you different advice. Every person will give you different advice. Um, You know, and I think the biggest thing is you have to do what's best for you. As long as you're being safe, you're not hurting anybody. Um, you know, if that means that you go out and travel the world, or if you go out and you want to date, or if you decide you want to remarry, or if you want to have more children, or there's no right or wrong way. People are so quick with judgments. And, um, like I've I've said to a, a family member, I remember telling this person that you know, I'll make you a deal. You, you let your wife go and be God and let me have Steve back. And then I'll, I'll listen to your opinions. And that person took that as me saying, Oh, I want your wife to pass away. And that's not the case at all. That's, I would never wish that upon anybody. It's just that I want, wanted them to understand that your opinion, I mean, opinions of how I raise my kids, opinions of me dating, how I spend my money, whether I work, whether I don't work, where I live. I mean, all of these things. And for so long, um, I mean, years, I tried to keep the children's relationship alive with their dad's family. I felt that was so, so, so important because my family is not close. And um, I, I thought it was so important. But then I realized at one point that I was the only one trying. So then I stopped and I became at so much peace over Kimmy because I was done trying to do what, like, I thought, in my mind, I thought, well, if my sister's son's partner died, I would be involved in this way. And 
I was so resentful over their family not being that way. Um, and then as soon as Steve died, I guess they thought that we weren't family anymore because I don't know. That's just that they fell off. And my only advice would be do what's best for you. If it makes you happy and you're not hurting anybody, you're not hurting yourself. I mean, I've raised wonderful kids. My kids are, my daughter has an internship with NASA. She's this summer. My kids are all, they're great students. They're great people. They're kind. They're compassionate. They're, um, very cool. They are great people. And so, um, they, they've turned out well. So I did something right. You absolutely did. I got to watch them grow up. It was my pleasure. Yeah, no, they're, they're great kids. And that's super good advice for everybody. And I want to thank you for being on my podcast today. I know it was super hard. But thank you for telling everybody your journey and what had happened. And um, Steve, we're going to see you again one day. I believe that. I, I believe I it. do too. No, I'm in tears. So we're going to go. <laughs> All right, Brandy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I love you, girl. Love you too. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.